Scripture. Good morning, everybody. Uh, this morning's Scripture is from Acts 2, 37 through 47, in the New Revised Standard Version. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves, uh -oh. Save yourselves from the corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any has need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers, or number those who were being saved. Thank you, God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So recently I read an article that talked about another uh, crisis that is happening in our country. It's called the loneliness epidemic that's happening, not just in our country, but across the world. It's, it's most pointed in our country where half of adults have reported experiencing loneliness and isolation. Half of adults in the United States are reporting that they've been experiencing loneliness and isolation. And that's across all age groups. Half of the population are experiencing loneliness and isolation. Honestly, I think those numbers, if everybody, like nobody asked me, you know, is this your experience? Are you experiencing that? I think those numbers are probably much, much higher. Maybe even as much as 75% of people in our country today are experiencing the effects of loneliness and isolation. And so within the, within the article, the Surgeon General says that loneliness and isolation leave us feeling uh, like this, sick and angry and alone. Well, you wouldn't think that would be the consequence, would you? Sick and angry and alone. And it starts to take a toll then on our mental health, causing more irritability and anger or intensified withdrawal. Like the more lonely we are, the more we want to actually withdraw and, and get more and more quiet or even then lashing out explains a lot of the anger that we see, say, on the internet, right? People are isolated, they're alone, they withdraw, but then they lash out. Physically, there are ramifications for loneliness and isolation. There's a long-term increase of heart disease, uh, of, of stroke and dementia. And I personally know and have heard many, many stories about 
the damage that's done by addictions. And they always say in recovery groups that isolation is the enemy. That when we're alone, that's when addictions or, or, or problems like addiction uh, get a strong grip on us because we're alone and isolated. I'd say that all this makes sense, right? I mean, you understand, maybe you felt lonely at some point in your life or you've been isolated, and you know that yes, it's hard. And that, yes, it's, da- it's, it's damaging for us. And you know why I think it boils down to these two things? We were created for these two things. You and I, we were created for two things. Really simple. Connection with one another. Like this. Looking each other in the eye. Being able to nod like you're doing now. Sensing, you know, this is the other person attuning to me. We can't really do that online, can we? <laughs> this is what we're created for. Surprise? This kind of connection, this kind of looking into each other's eyes, that's one thing. We're created for connection with other people. And the other part is connection with God. Connection with others and connection with God. And you might not realize it, but we actually crave these kinds of connections. You might not realize it, but we crave it. We we crave it deep within our bones, this kind of connection with other people and this connection with God. That's why it's helpful to know or to hear or, or think that uh, there's a reason for things. Well, everything happens for a reason or there's a meaning or a purpose because then we feel connected with God when we see that kind of connection. Even this secular article agreed about the importance of connection with other people and they came up with these six steps all about connection. Here's all the things we're going to do to try and address the problem of loneliness and isolation because it's probably the greatest threat to our society. All these six steps that were very complicated. And the last one was creating a culture of connection. It was the final point. Even tech is trying to make, make ways to make digital feel more real. There's apps that are, what's the one called? Some of you younger, people younger than me probably know it. It's like called Be Real. Where at any time throughout the day, you know, your phone goes off and you're just supposed to take a selfie of yourself. So even if you've not done any of your makeup or put on your nice clothes, you just have to take a selfie and let everybody see the real you. But there are consequences that it's not actually the same as just real relationship. Weird, huh? But even the secular article with all those six steps agrees that connection with other people is critically important. So I wonder today, is there maybe a simpler approach? Do we really need six different steps in this complicated way of integrating technology? I wonder if there's a a simpler approach that we as Christ Church could begin to do right now to ease the loneliness and isolation while while also strengthening our church and our community, not in spite of the difficulties of our time, but because of them. Well, I think our Scripture today gives us a sense of what, it, what was involved in the earliest days of the church. Last week we emphasized the power of the apostles' teaching and fellowship. The people who were baptized and became disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves, they gave of themselves to learning the apostles' teaching, not from the Bible or necessarily a sermon, but just like, hey, this is what we know about Jesus, and this is what it means for our life to follow Jesus. That was, the, that was the foundation of their relationships together. Today we experience that kind of thing in small group. 
What I want to point out to you today is the second part of what people devoted themselves to. We read it here. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And just like last week, the two words apostles teaching and fellowship are like joined together in the original language that this was written. Today it's the same thing. The breaking of bread and the prayers. So in other words, the practice of sharing a meal together was an essential part of being a follower of Jesus. The practice of sharing a meal with others who claimed to follow Jesus, who wanted to be a disciple of Jesus, the practice of sharing a meal was an essential part of being a follower of Jesus. And it was actually a form of spiritual practice. That's why they joined the word or the phrase and the prayers. It was the eating, yes. But just eating together didn't make you follow, like co-followers of Jesus. It was also the prayers, the spiritual element that was brought in. See, meals during Jesus' time in the Old Testament consisted of meaningful connection. To share a meal with someone was to say, was basically like to say this, I want to be in a relationship with you. Not like a romantic, calm down, <laughs> calm down. I want to be in a relationship with you. Like, I want to grow closer to you. I want to journey in life with you. I want to learn the things about you that maybe I don't know now. I want to walk this life with you and, and say that Jesus is the reason for this connection that we have. So to, to sit at a table with someone was to declare that, hey, you're okay. And I want to uh, journey in this life with you. And so you can see why then it was so controversial that Jesus actually sat down with tax collectors and sinners because what He was saying by that action was, I want to be in relationship with you. And that was a big no-no. That was a cultural taboo of the time. And this was the practice that the early church committed to was sitting with one another and saying, we are going to journey in life together. We're not going to just meet once a week, you know, or once a month or whatever. We're going to actually journey in life together and see how that looks and deal with the ups and downs of that experience. It was not perfect in the New Testament. There are controversies. People, I'm sure, got annoyed of each other. Like, gosh, they won't shut up. <laughs> like, you know, all kinds of things. There are people. There are still people. But this was a practice, an essential practice that they had. And I think that maybe it was the practice of of sharing meals together and praying together, reminding one another of the teachings of Jesus that enabled the church to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit, which could actually help them to endure, endure. Is that the right word? Endure? You ever have those moments where you're like, is that the right word? It's not fun if you're in front of everybody. <laughs> 300 years of persecution. The church, as we pointed out last week, actually grew during persecution over 300 years. Where it was illegal to be a Christian like you could be killed and tortured for being a Christian. And that the church actually grew during that time in a miraculous way. And we talked about last week on the American frontier, Methodists, it was just called Methodism during that time, they were committed to these same similar practices of the early church. John Wesley, who's the founder of our denomination, really looked at this passage and said, this is how you bring renewal into the faith. Which is what he wanted to do originally with, uh, with the Anglican church. He didn't want to start a new denomination. He wanted to bring renewal into the Anglican church. And it was just getting back to these basic elements. 
And so you can envision people on the American frontier like Lake Crystal when this circuit rider came, C.C. Kidder, came and established this congregation basically back in 1856. Is that right, Dean? I think so, yeah. If you didn't know, <laughs> you're not going to say, no, I don't know. <laughs> not when I point, <laughs> call you out like that. But when C.C. When Kidder came in 1856, that's what we're going with, Dean, he probably said, okay, now when I go to these other places, you guys, this is what you need to do. You need to care for one another. You need to sit down and share meals together. You need to pray for one another. And you need to, at this time you have Scripture, right? You need to be diving into Scripture together and making sense of what does this mean to be a follower of Christ. Because the circuit riders didn't stay in one place at first. They didn't stay. They would go, that's why they called them circuit riders. They would go to one place, preach, and kind of equip people. Then they'd go to the next place by horseback. They only had four different sermons at one time. Isn't that amazing? And they just preached them with vigor. And, and uh, I, I forgot the word. You get the picture. Is it? <laughs> it's amazing. And I wonder if that's part of how the Methodist movement and the early church could thrive during difficult conditions. Because during a meal... We do all kinds of amazing things without really even thinking about it. We, we support each other in ways that we just totally take for granted in our world today. Friends, during meals with others, we practice the spiritual disciplines of slowing down. When we sit down at the table with one another, we slow down. We're so busy, we're so moving, we're so driven to our goals and all the different responsibilities that we have, but when we eat with others, Especially in the home, we slow down. And during that space, even leading up to it, we start to depend upon each other. Even if you host, someone might say, well, what can I bring? I want to bring something. I want to add. I want to give to this experience that we're about to share together. When we eat meals together, we share stories about who we are and what's important to us. We experience, hopefully, laughter and joy. We experience togetherness. If we can eat together enough, then we might, just might, start to grow closer to one another. Sharing a meal together is a powerful experience. Yes, just in everyday life, but especially if we as Christians can commit to this practice together. And I'll tell you, I've said this many times, sharing meals with people of the church that, uh, where I met Jesus in Lake City, the same church where Gina and I were married, it was not the pastor's awesome sermon or the great worship music or uh, whatever else could draw you into a church. Even small group, as much as I love small group, it wasn't those things that really uh, brought me close to Christ. It was the fact that l- laypersons, parishioners, invited me to go out to lunch after, after worship. They eventually, as I grew more comfortable with this, <laughs> had me into their homes to have dinner, to have lunch, sometimes to have breakfast. You know, it was, it was just that intentional effort by the lay people. Again, not the pastor. Eventually, the pastor did with me as well. I was single, and I was eager to learn and grow. I mean, I was easy, right? But it was the lay people that said, hey, do you want to go for lunch? Hey, do you want to come and join us for dinner? hey, can we meet you out at the restaurant? Do you want to go grab pizza? 
And it was in those spaces especially that I just opened my heart to people in a way that I had never done before. And it was a way that I experienced the grace of God in a real way. I could feel and experience support and love. Feel and, and experience God's grace. Not just hear about it you know, intellectually, but I could actually feel it. So if, meals, if sharing meals like this are so powerful, then what, why is that also so difficult? <laughs> I risk even talking about this. I risk overwhelming you. Maybe I lost some of you already. Like, yeah, well, you know, we're busy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's what makes this simple practice so challenging. Uh, overwhelm and busyness. Of all the things that are a threat to God's church, and to our culture, honestly, I think uh, overwhelm and busyness are right at the top. We're doing so much all the time and we don't know how to stop. We don't know how to clarify our values of what is most important to me and to my family and to our church so that we can get back to these really basic things that remember, you and I were created for. Do you remember what they are? Connection with one another. This type of connection. Meaningful relationship. Essential for our well-being. Connection with God. Or connection with others and connection with God. I gave, you, I gave it away. You're welcome. <laughs> Those two things are the most important part of being who we are in this life. Those two things. Those, just those two basic sort of boiling it all down, those two basic elements of this thing that we call life are the most important realities for us. But they're also the hardest because we're so overwhelmed. We're so busy. And I'm guessing many of you are saying, well, yeah, sounds great to have, uh, have lunch and dinner with others, but I don't even have lunch and dinner with my own family. It's a good place to start, isn't it? Gina was telling me of some friends that uh, they got together and they were talking about eating together and, and one of her friends said that they hadn't shared a meal together as a family in months. Months. And it's part, part of the job that one of them has. And, and they turned to Gina and said, I'm going to brag on us for a second, Gina. She didn't know I was going to say this. <laughs> they turned to Gina and said, uh, how often do you guys eat together? And she said, well, Pretty much every day. <laughs> and the reason I share that about us is like, well, we had to go, we've had to go through 10 years of prioritizing like what are our values and it started with money. Like what's most important to us with our finances so that we can decide how much or how little we're going to work so that we can, so that we can live out our values of spending meaningful time together. It starts with that. And then it's a calendar saying, how much can we really be involved in? You know, can we do everything? Can we allow our kids to do everything? Because at the end of the day, what we really want to do is, first of all, connect with one another as husband and wife, but then be able to be present to our children. And then hopefully, this is what we really want to do, and we talk about it all the time now, is we would like to bring others into that kind of experience. And what's shocking to me I say this to God all the time, like, really, God, is that the calling that you've placed before me and my family is just to do what basically we did growing up? <laughs> you know, like, get together with people and have meals and, you know, not be just running all the time? 
Like I just have memories of that from even high school before everything just got so crazy and busy. So that's one really uh, strong challenge of uh, the simple practice. It's just overwhelm and busyness. And so if that's where you're at, then let's talk about that. Let's try and uh, get a grip on where you're at in life. Because you have to start there. The second part of why this is so hard is, is just, this is actually the hardest one, but the simplest to address, is the vulnerability that's required. <laughs> it's a vulnerable practice to sit and eat with someone. I have something in my teeth. You know, do I sound weird? Oh, do I, talk, do I normally talk with my mouth open? I, you know, whatever. But even more so is that when we sit down with somebody like that and we have to take the time to share a meal, well, there's a part of us that knows that we're going we're gonna to share during that time. And if you don't want to share, it actually takes energy to keep your guard up and like, well, I don't want to go this direction or that direction. I think that's actually the hardest. We've, we've had the experience of inviting people to our house to share a dinner and they ghost us. Like, the, and I, it's the vulnerability. Like, that's too, that's too much. That's too freaky. I don't want to be that close with, with others. And that's a real challenge in our time. But friends, wh- whether you're experiencing loneliness and isolation or not, the reality is, is that we need and crave connection. And we can actually help with this epidemic uh, by committing to sharing meals, first of all, starting in your family, and then with me- sharing meals with one another. Sharing a commitment to grow in relationship with one another and with Jesus. And then we can invite others into that practice to join us. So here's a couple uh, simple things that I'd like you to think about. Would you be willing to host someone, like someone from our church, to say, you know, we've got a nice home, we've been blessed with a nice home, and we, we have the capacity, we actually like to host. We would love to host someone from our congregation or like a new person that came in. We would love to do that. Is that where you're at? Would you be willing to attend? Maybe it's both for you. Maybe yes, I'll host, and yes, I'll attend. Uh, maybe for you, it's, uh, I would just love to take somebody out to eat. Maybe I have financial capacity to pay for them, but I don't necessarily want them in, to come to my house. That's just a little too much for one reason or another. And then the last thing that I would encourage you to think about, kind of takes all this to another level, if you're already doing this, if you're already having people over to your home, like especially from our church, um, or if you're used to doing this with your family, but maybe not others, I want to invite you to think about who could I start with? So, you know, I know a lot of you like you eat together a lot as a family. You eat together a lot with people you're already friends with. But the reality is that the strength of our relationships with one another, like each one to one another, not just this way, you to me, you know, like that, but all together, the strength of those relationships individually is what makes the whole really strong. So the more of us that are getting together for small group, first of all, and then even sharing meals together, and, and even then praying together, the more of that that we have happening within our church, even if it was 30%, that's, that begins to really strengthen our congregation 
to be able to endure the hardships of our time. Because I think we all kind of get this sense that the difficulties that we're experiencing right now, and the loneliness and isolation and the stress and the overwhelm and the busyness, friends, they're not going away anytime soon. So how can we support each other? How can we experience the presence of Christ together and become a strong congregation again for another chapter of this congregation's uh, history? Well, we could start by sharing a meal, right? We could start by spending this time together. So I want to end by sharing this contrast. Okay, so in the, uh, in the article, they say that loneliness and isolation lead people to uh, be sick and angry and alone. And the disciples in the early church, as they gathered together, for devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers, we read in verse 46 that they broke bread at the home and they ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and giving thanks. Glad and generous hearts. I don't know about you, friends, but that's how I want to live. Even now, even today, even with all the stuff going on, I want to live with a glad and generous heart in relationship with God and one another. So let's ask God to give us the wisdom that we need to make room in our calendars. Let's ask God for the courage to be vulnerable and see how Jesus uses our willingness to bring hope and healing to our community. One meal at a time. Amen.